Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another Work Human Radio. My name is Mike Wood. I'm your host, and we are having another Humans of Work Human episode with one of my favorite people, my mentor, Dan Miller. He is one of our older, wiser, and not forgotten workers here at Work Human. I tease him about his age, but you're a funny guy. I try. I try. Dan is our director of content, all around great guy. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. Good afternoon. So I've teased Dan that his life has been essentially like Forrest Gump in that he's done so many different things in his life. Name some of the jobs that you've had in your life. Okay, Mike, I was a disc jockey. This was my first job out of college. I was a newspaper reporter, covered news, business, music, sports, covered the mid to late 80s Boston sports teams, Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics. In the locker rooms. In the locker rooms. Saw Roger Clemens pitch as a rookie. Interviewed Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky. Spent a lot of time with the Bruins, with Bork, Neely, Andy Moog, Reggie Lemelin, Craig Janney, Adam Oates, those teams. Covered the Celtics with the Big Five, Bird, Mikhail, Parrish, Ainge, and DJ. Biggest trash talker I've ever heard is DJ. You should have just heard his mouth running. Worse point. than Bird? Worse than Bird. Yes, he was. Oh, wow. <laughs> so who's the nicest athlete that you met? Well, it's definitely hockey. Actually, Andy Brickley, who's a commentator yep. now for Nesson, was a great guy. Always gave me whatever time I needed to talk. And he was certainly memorable as far as just being gracious and giving me his time. So... Take me through, so the life of a sports reporter before the internet and all that stuff, you go to the game, walk me through like a typical game, covering it, and then like getting into the locker room and like what the whole like flow is. Okay, so I'll give you a typical Bruins game. This was at the old Boston Garden, and we were on Writer's Row, which was the best seats in the house, like low and right above center ice. But everybody in that row was smoking cigarettes and pipes and cigars. I'd actually come home from the game and my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, would say, you've been out drinking all night? And I said, no, I was covering the Bruins. But it is it was a different culture back then where they allowed smoking. But you'd get to the garden late afternoon and you'd prep for the game. And this was pre-internet. So we worked on these little Tandy 100 laptops that you actually connected to a phone line through what they called couplers. And if it was a close game, say 2-2 with five minutes to go in the third, you'd have to have three leads ready to go to hit deadline. Yep. So the deadline at the time on a Saturday night game was 9.45. I had to have that story in. So you'd write three leads, you'd have them winning, you'd have them losing, and you'd have them going into overtime. And you'd have to send that story with enough time to hit that 9.45 deadline so that the desk had it and they had the time to do the editing to get it to print. Okay, so they edited it and they put, like, who scored the winning goal? Right. If the game winner was was scored after I sent it, that would just be a simple phone call or they would find out from someone else, but typically it would be from me. And then you go to the locker rooms and you're just You go down to the locker room, you go in and 
they're all in there. And like I said, hockey, they're very gracious. Ray Bork would always talk to you. Cam Neely would always talk to you. They were just nice. Baseball was very different. Yeah. So covering the Red Sox, (laughs) you would have to go in for a night game mid-afternoon. You'd watch batting practice. You'd do a pregame. You'd do what they called a notebook to report on any injuries. Then you'd watch the game, and then you'd go down into the locker room after the game, and and you'd talk to the players. But they were actually very standoffish. In fact, I saw Jim Rice take the reporter for the Hartford Current and stuff him in a trash can because they didn't like the question <laughs> that uh, he asked them. So for our listeners out there that may not know Jim Rice, he's in the Hall of Fame now, but I think he had to wait almost the full period of eligibility because the Baseball Hall of Fame is voted on by the writers and they made him pay for all the stuff that he had done to them over Sports the years. Sports writers did not like him as a player. But I think that they've come around on him later on. I was always a proponent that Rice got in the Hall of Fame because he was the dominant left fielder of his time. And I think you have to look at that. I think Dewey Evans should be in as well, too. Yeah, I think he just missed out the other day. But who knows? And yeah, I mean, in general, the hockey players have a uh, better reputation for being more down to earth. You didn't cover football? It wasn't. Even- I did not cover the Patriots. I did some high school sports, so I would cover some high school football. I did some college football, but never did the Patriots. We always had somebody covering that. I did do the Boston Marathon. So I covered probably 15 of those in a row. And that was always a fun event to report Yeah, it's on. like it, yeah. people that don't know, it's pretty much a holiday here. It's on Patriots Day. So that's a Massachusetts holiday. Commemorates the battles of Lexington and Concord. And usually it's traditionally when the Boston Marathon is run. Fun party for everybody. I did mention I covered music. So in 1994, my newspaper and Relics magazine sent me to Woodstock 94 (laughs) and Sargates. And that was the 25-year anniversary of the 69 This was the Mud Bowl. This was the Mud Bowl. With Green Day, Um, right? Green Day. Yep. So I had a press pass, but I decided I wanted to do it from a tent and experience it from the crowd. So I had one of my longtime friends come with me and... We did the whole thing from a tent, but the music was incredible. It did rain, but I was in the middle of the Green Day mud fight that took place at the South Stage, but saw some new acts that I had not heard of, like Nine Inch Nails, did an incredible set, a band called Live, Blues Traveler, were all bands that were relatively unknown at the time, but there were some classic artists there too. Cranberries had an incredible set. Melissa Etheridge was outstanding. She did a tribute to Janis Joplin that I still remember. And then the old timers were there like Joe Cocker and CSN, but really good show. Yeah. You're a big music guy. Love Uh, music. Yeah. Who are your favorites? Probably my favorite band of all time is The Who. I'm a huge Pete Townsend fan because I'm a word guy and I like lyrics. And if you look at songwriting ability, there's nobody better than Pete Townsend. So I always get into arguments with people, Stones or The Who and... I always take the hoop just because of their songwriting and the lyrics. Hmm. But I can listen to pretty much everything. And I have a 14-year-old daughter, so I do. And How do you feel about music nowadays? (laughs) I think You can be that uh, classic older gentleman who is like, the music's not the same. You know what? My dad always criticized my music growing up. And I said, I will never do that to my children the way that he criticized my music. So I'm not going to criticize it, but I will say that Pro Tools can do amazing things for artists (laughs) and that 
I want to leave it at that because I really don't want to criticize her. There music. are it's some artists not... out there that still have talent. Like I saw Bruno Mars play once and he's phenomenal. Like he plays all his own stuff. And... But a great, great musician. I don't want to just leave it with the who though. I love Amy Mann. She was the lead singer for Till Tuesday. They were based out of Boston. She's a terrific songwriter and singer. Wrote the song Voices Carry. That was their big hit. <laughs> I love classic rock, but I can listen to everything pretty much. Acoustic, jazz, blues. Yeah, and you were a radio DJ. Yes. So where were you a radio DJ? Give us a little like taste of that radio voice. 94.3. <laughs> WBPM Kingston. <laughs> I'm just going to bring you around to parties to have you do that. <laughs> yeah, Dan was in Kingston, New York, right? Kingston, New York. It's Which, about... Uh, where is that? 45 minutes south of Albany. Okay. Exit 19 on the throughway. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot happening out there. <laughs> It's actually a good town to grow up in. It's in the middle yeah. of the Catskills, great skiing, great mountain swimming. Just growing up there was amazing. So you, you got the radio bug. You were a DJ. Were you playing records or were you playing eight tracks? Like, how did you? Now, well, we were playing work? these huge reel-to-reel tapes that would just, you'd kick them in. You'd have, it's hard to explain at the time. It was all kind of like eight track push button. They yeah. would start these massive reels, but we also did albums too. So I anchored this show called The Source, which was an NBC program that aired at midnight on Friday. It was kind of like the Wolfman Jack show. It was all pre-recorded, but they would send us the 33 RPMs and I would play those and they would include commercials and I got to keep those. So it's funny, I looked up some of those concerts it was called the source concert up on ebay and they're like you can't even find them and the prices are pretty amazing what people are willing to pay for them oh, i've wow. got an rem set from atlanta from 1981 oh that, wow really before they broke that is pretty rare so but you'd get sued right if you tried to sell it legit Right. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't. I don't I, remember. I'm not, I'm not selling them, but they're in my bootleg record tapes were around when I was a kid, and so I don't know what they can do now with them. But that radio DJ job led you to one of my favorite facts about you is that you were an extra in a B-rated horror movie. So they were, <laughs> which I found on YouTube and showed our entire team. It's very funny. Mike. <laughs> so the movie is called The Stuff. It was released in 1984, I believe. It starred. Paul Servino, Garrett Morris, I can't remember the other actors, but they were looking for disc jockeys to be extras. So I raised my hand and said, sure, why not? So I'm in a couple scenes. I'm in a scene getting out of a taxi and running in a army outfit with a gun. And then I have a scene on the staircase where I'm holding back Chocolate Charlie, played by Garrett Morris. <laughs> and he's trying to get up the stairs. Garrett was a star on the early cast of Saturday Night Live back yes. in the 70s for people who may remember him. But yeah, those were the two big scenes I was in. So it was kind of cool to do that. And how many Oscars did the stuff win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't win. Anything. It was essentially like fluff, right? Yeah, it, it was marshmallow. That it was coming it was, after people. It was just a B-rated movie that had people being covered by marshmallow fluff. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, horrifying. So <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about how you got to where you are now. How did you make the transition from journalist to, I guess, content writer? Because there's a lot of people that are still making that transition. Yeah, so I 
was a reporter, as I mentioned, back in the late 80s to sort of 93, 94. And I saw the writing on the wall that online was coming, although there was no web yet. And I started reading about it and looking at it. And I saw that AT&T was looking to build an online community called Interchange. And they were based in Cambridge, down where the HubSpot is right now, over on 25 First Street. So they were looking for someone to run the sports division for this new online platform. It was a proprietary platform with roughly 30,000 members. And the job would be to just monitor the, the wires and curate sports stories by different sport, et cetera. So I applied and I got the job and did that for about a year. And then Netscape went IPO and the web came and changed everything. And all of a sudden, what we were doing was really out there. And we started to build web pages. And I did that for another year. And then my manager at the time had since gone to Microsoft and called me up and said, Microsoft is funding these city guides across the country. I'd love for you to come and build the sports section for sidewalk.com, which has since been brought by City Search Ticketmaster. But I went out, they flew me out to Redmond. I applied for the job and I got it. So I built basically a database of all of the sports venues, sporting events in the Boston area, helped out with restaurant creation. We built the restaurant database. We built the theater database. We built the outdoor activity database. And that's all very manual. It was all, well, I would call up. I had the enviable job, I guess, of building the golf course database. So we put online every golf course in Massachusetts But I would call up these golf courses and I'd say, hey, this is Dan Miller from Microsoft Sidewalk. We'd like to put you online. We just need to to answer some questions. And they'd be like, what? Like, what is online? And I'd be like, they're like, WW what? You'd have those conversations because there was just no adoption really of the fact that there was a web and that businesses needed to move from brick and mortar to a digital presence. So that was a painful kind of journey to take them there. But I think as an early adopter and working in the web during that time, it was an amazing experience to really be at the forefront of how we created this digital presence. For I companies. think you mentioned you did a feature at the golf course that I worked at as a kid. Yeah. Stow Acres. Yep. I did a, well, you were probably there while I was there. Yep. I did a two day, I did the Stowe golf uh, school, golf school. Worked with Sal. Remember that guy? Ruggieri. Ruggiero. Ruggiero. Yeah. I was down there. When he was there, I was picking up balls in the driving range. Who knows? There you go. (laughs) I may may have seen you there. But I went, Microsoft, as I mentioned, sold us to City Search Ticketmaster. And I ended up going to Monster.com from there. And I built a content marketing program from scratch at Monster. We did not really have an organized way to share content with our audience. And I spent eight years doing that. I actually should clarify, I did five years building the content marketing team and then stretched myself to move into some different areas of the company. I ran sales and service training. I did client training. Then because I had moved over into HR, our head of recruiting went on maternity leave and I ran North America recruiting for two years and learned that side of the business, which I think is really interesting and certainly helpful here 
at Work Human to work in HR. Um, I, I ran the training group as well. So had did a lot of different things in the eight years at Monster. Then from there, did a lot of different startups, kind of bounced around a bit before coming here three years ago. Yeah. Has it only been three years? Three years I celebrated in October. Wow. Well, Dan, we're glad to have you. And I really value you and Aaron, who Aaron's a copywriter of ours, who is also an older gentleman. I look to you guys for advice, not only in career pathing, but also in life in general. I mean, you got a daughter. I now have two daughters. Uh, This is the first episode since I've been back. I had a baby girl, Callie, born on November 22nd, nine pounds, no epidural. And we made it to the hospital in record time in my uh, Subaru Forester and had the baby awesome. an hour later. There was no time, but my wife is a champ. So that's great. She's Congratulations. Yeah. And Dan's daughter actually goes to the high school that I graduated from. Dan that's lives down the street from me. So it's a small world. But so when I started at this company, everybody was about the same age. Older at this company would probably be like 35 at the time. Now we are way more diverse. And I think that the insight that you and Aaron have, as well as people that like are like Max, who's fresh out of college, I think it's more well-rounded. So I love picking your brains about all your various life experiences and the many lives that you've had. Well, I'm always looking to do something different, do something new. And I've always had a very positive approach to life. And I like adventure. I like to stretch myself and do different things. And it's been a great journey and the journey continues. Well, we'll have you on again soon. Dan is the VP of content. Oh no, you're the director of content. Director of content marketing. All right, we'll get you there. So that VP, <laughs> you're the director of content marketing. He is at a lot of conferences with us. So if you see me at a conference or you're at work human and you see me in the booth and you want to meet Dan, Let me know because I'll introduce you to him because he's around and he's writing and he's got his hands everywhere. He's doing a little bit of everything. So if you are interested in Work Human, there's still tickets available. You can visit www.workhumanlive.com and sign up for the latest updates. But register too. join us because we're going to be on site doing some more interviews and we'd love to have you there. So thanks again. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Mike. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human Live in 2020, May 11th through the 14th in San Antonio. Visit workhuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2020. 